0: Hello and welcome back to Gloucester Book Club's podcast. I'm Christina Young, and tonight with my friends from book club, we'll be talking about *Home Fire* by Carmela Shamsi. Hey everybody! Welcome back. Nice to see you tonight. I've got with me Joe, and Jen, and Hi. Zoe. Hi. 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 Hi, guys. We're really pleased to have you back, Zoe. You went on a bit of sabbatical, didn't you, from our book club podcast, but you're back and we're really pleased to see you. Oh, um, thank you. You're welcome. And uh, you're welcome too, Jen, because you joined us again to do a pod- podcasting guest appearance, if you like. or yes. um, Not exactly an appearance, but you know what I mean. So tonight we're talking about Home Fire, which is the seventh novel by a British writer called Kamala Shamsi. The same year that Home Fire was listed for the Man Booker Prize in 2008, it actually won the Women's Prize for fiction. So it's a loose retelling of Antigone set among a family that's divided by politics and love and radicalism. It's less than 300 pages and it manages to do all the things that I want novels to do. It takes us from suburban streets of Wembley, To the killing grounds of the islamic state ravaged raqqa shamsi tackles issues of terrorism political showboating and jihadi recruitment in london through the prism of a classic two sides of the tracks love story so this is who we're going to be discussing tonight we read it with book club a while back so we've had to refresh our memories a bit but there are some themes in this book that come through quite strongly and the first theme that we're going to talk about tonight is sacrifice. Zoe, I'll come to you first. What, what did you think about the theme of sacrifice in the book?
1: Well, this book really has a phenomenal ending, which we're not going to give away. And many, many twists and turns. It is a tragedy. So there are many sacrifices that get bigger and bigger as the novel goes on. But we start the novel with Isma, who is the oldest sister of three siblings. There's Isma, Anika and Parvez. And the latter two are twins. Isma's the older sister and really the novel opens with the story of her sacrifice. She's had to put her academic career on hold and she's just managed to get back to the US after a period of about 10 years, looking after her younger siblings because they've been orphaned. So the story starts with her checking in on her siblings and is really framed from the point of view of her emotional, physical, sacrifice. Um, We find out later that the family's dad is absent. He is somebody who was accused and captured for terrorism and later died in Guantanamo Bay. Um, So the family already has a past and a history that Isma, I think, is trying to distance herself from by focusing in her studies. On second reading, it really struck me how well Shamsi writes these characters because On reading about Isma's sacrifices again and and the things she had to do to look after her brother and her sister, it struck me how much this actually forms part of how she sees herself and her world and her complete identity. Mm -hmm. It's based around herself and her siblings and the sacrifices that she's made for them, which namely were to stop going to university and school, she had to get a job, um, and really support their emotional and physical well-being throughout their teenage years in the absence of their parents. To what extent that she actually is like a mum or whether she's like a sister is very blurred? Mm. I think for her that the lines are very, very blurred. Um, and it's interesting. I know we're going to talk about Antigone a little bit later in our discussion because, as you say, Christina, the book is based on that. Mm. And in Antigone, although there's not literal incest in this book it is a very incestuous very closely knit family line where the lines between sister and mother are really really blurred for Isma. I think for her she almost views herself as a martyr and by that I mean not with any radical terrorist or political implications but in the purest form that her life and her service thus far has been dedicating herself and building up her family from the ruins of an absent father and and a deceased mother so I was interested to see how martyrdom can be seen not just in the extreme context that are later brought up in the novel but also in the sense of a woman's role and a woman's work within the family where she martyrs herself to look after those who come after her, the children or the siblings. And right at the beginning of the book, I
0: don't know if you remember this bit, Zoe, but um, mm. there's the scene where she's at Heathrow Airport, isn't she? Um, oh, yeah, and, and, she, and she's being searched uh, because she's trying to get to the US. And I found that scene quite disturbing. I don't know what the other guys thought about it.
2: Yeah, I felt it was so unfair because of how she looks, in other words, with the hijab. Mm. She knew she'd get searched and allowed time for it. Mm. Yeah, she still missed her flight. Yeah. And nobody seemed to care about that. She no, was just released and dismissed no. after the search and uh, the detainment, after she'd been proved, I think it was like, do you consider yourself British, was the, um, mm. were the questions. And she had to almost prove that she like, did like Britain, which is ridiculous because she was born and lived there. Yeah. Um, I just felt it was so unfair that they didn't even get her on another flight. They just... So she would have lost that flight money, which is dreadful.
0: Going on now to the theme of loyalty, which also runs through the book. It's a big thing, really. Jen, um, what did you think about all the loyalty stuff? You know, how people are torn.
2: I actually only read, finished this book a couple of weeks ago because I didn't read it with Book Club. And loyalty was the thing that really uh, stuck out. There's so many different types of loyalty. So you say about Isma being loyal to her family, Zoe yeah um she's also very uh devout and actually when the brother did go off it was her i don't know if i'm giving it away <laughs> but it was her that did the right thing and actually was disloyal
3: yes. and
2: reported him she did the right thing mm. um so that meant when he returned he wouldn't be able to regain his citizenship and then in doing so when anika found out of course then they neither you know she didn't want to talk to isma which we saw was quite distressing
0: just so the listeners will know what this is about, Jen. Oh,
2: yeah, you
0: explain, sorry. you know, what's happened? What? Why is Parvez left? What's he doing?
2: So there was, um, Parvez's fa- father, as you know, was kind of an absent uh, terrorist um, jihadi. And then somebody kind of got a hold of this called Farouk. And his job was to radicalise and recruit. Yes. Uh, but Farouk presented himself as... You know, uh, a friend, I suppose, a great mate who loved Parve, just thought he was the best and then kind of uh, persuaded him through the loyalty to his father that he would be doing the right thing by his father. And if he went out there, he'd find all the people that fought with his father and he can learn about it. And they'd be so proud to meet the son of the great um, war hero. Um, So he abused that. And then, of course, Parve kind of distanced himself from everyone and a a bit like, you know, he was looking for something, I think. You said about Parve kind of being in an all-female household. Mm. He found this kind of group of men that, you know, loved him and he found his... Of course, that wasn't the the case when he got out there, but he was led to believe that and was quite easily radicalised, I felt, by Farouk, using his loyalty to his father. But it was a lot, of, a lot of other things. The biggest one, I think, um, Joe, you might talk about this, is the Home Secretary, mm-hmm. um, who knew the family originally, so they knew of him, and then they met the son, who was called Ayman because he's kind of turned his back on his Muslim heritage. And the Home Secretary um, had a history that he used his Muslim roots to get voted in, and then very soon kind of attended a Christian church. But he did have a very loyal family he was a very which i really liked i thought he was rather than being a monster there was a lot of affection in his his own family life so when his son i suppose i I don't want to give, i don't know if we're saying this give it away but when his son kind of was disloyal if you like it was it was heartbreaking for him but he his loyalty was a little bit skewed because it was for his career and then his wife which is interesting his wife who you know they were very loving couple I think she was of Irish heritage. The quote was, she said when the, the situation with Anika exploded, um, she shouted at him and she said, but it was like, be human, do the right thing. Yes. She was quite shocked at his, he was trying to be a home secretary and uphold what looked like the right thing and what the voters wanted. But actually I think he'd lost his humanity along the way and he lost the loyalty of his, his family. And yeah. his son, as we will find out.
0: Uh, Joe, you um, might like to tell us because there's another theme in this book, isn't there? Which is strong, which is identity. Yeah. So, Joe, what did you think about the identity theme in the book? When you, well, it's
3: a big theme. Yes, I mean, it's, as we've said, it's a contemporary retelling of Antigone, mm-hmm. and it's effectively done through the story of two immigrant families, both of Pakistani Islamic heritage, the Pashas and the Lones And how they differently deal with the conflict between being Muslim and having a heritage that they are or aren't proud of and being British and to what extent their loyalty to Britain as their new home supplants their um, love for their heritage and that's that's part of the tension in the book and Shamsi highlights the conflict between these two factors what it means to be Muslim and what it means to be British how hard it is to be both so, we've had the example already of Isma's interview by the security officer at Heathrow, that purely because she turns up there in a, in a hijab. Mm. For no other reason, she's taken aside and questioned. Her loyalty to Britain is, is put to her. How, how can you be British? Do you feel British? And it happens on other occasions. Kara Matt Lone, who's now become Home Secretary, has decided that the best way for him to advance himself politically is to Mm abandon his um, love for his heritage if you like and Mm -hmm. cleave to Britain and loyalty to his new country. So he um, is described in one place as having, he he says he has a Muslim background but Shamsi says basically he spends the whole book striding away from his Muslim background. Mm -hmm. He's decided to dispense with that for the sake of his career. There's an example where he goes back to his old school to to talk to the pupils, most of whom are Uh, from Muslim families and he basically says to them look you've got to forget all your cultural obligations and and your old old old-fashioned way of looking at life and adopt British attitudes and British values as the only way you'll get on in life clearly setting out his way he's decided to live his life and when it comes to um, the, the denouement with Anika running off to Pakistan to um retrieve Parvez's body, which is not meant to be a spoiler, but I mean, mm-hmm. there, there are deaths in this book, I'm afraid. I won't tell you exactly what happens at the end, but Anika goes out there and behaves as Antigone to retrieve her dead brother's body. And as well as Parvez, the, the if you like, the rebel brother being stripped of his British nationality by Karamat Lone, so is Anika. She's nothing other than vindictive. She's done absolutely nothing wrong Mm. apart from trying to get her brother's body back.
2: I think also, I think there was in some of the Karamat said he wanted to do that also because he didn't want her around his son because his son was clearly smitten with her. So I think that was quite a personal choice as well, wasn't
3: it? And of course, we did get to the the, um, stage where another renunciation of natural love, if you like, Eamonn renouncing his father and going off to Pakistan to pursue Anika.
2: And he did it very publicly, didn't he, Joe?
3: Yeah, very publicly and revealed in real time on the television to Karamatlone Lone, He's sitting in his study watching it all happen. That's right. He streamed that part of the book, the ending, which um, I'll say you know more about in terms of the That's ultimate ending.
0: No spoilers here.
3: Extremely well written. It's it's very, very gripping.
0: Actually, when we think about this book now, um, how actually pertinent it still is. When she published it in 2018, if you remember, there was at the same time in the news and the media was all the talk of um, the the Bagan girl who, you know, had gone to join jihadis. And... um, was wanting to come back to the uk and it was decided that she couldn't and that she was stripped of her citizenship so we have this book which was so timely and at the time of course we had um, sajid javid who was the home secretary and so there's a lot of parallels between what was going on in the uk at the time in britain Um, How we were deciding about whether or not we were going to let people who had, you know, gone off to join um, jihadis, whether we're going to let them come back or not. And and we're still rumbling along that now because there's more in the press at the moment, isn't there, Zoe, about the vegan girl? Yeah,
1: Shamina's actually um, done an interview wearing what we would consider westernised clothes very recently and said she would rather die than go back to ISIS. So mm-hmm. once again, she's in the news and people are debating whether or not she has the right to return to the UK. So it's still yeah. been going on even this week. Yeah.
2: Um, the radi- reading the radicalization of Parve, he was just a complete victim in it. It was awful. He had no idea how it was going to be. He didn't. He didn't. Wasn't going to go out there to fight. He was going to go out there to work for the media side. I, so I feel that that passage, that that radicalisation, was a really good insight yeah. to how maybe that young girl was led to all these lies and and well radicalised, and she was very young as well. She was fifteen, I
3: think. Well, she was fifteen, and she went. She and her two friends, the three of them, all went out there to become brides of the fighters. I mean. What a thing to do to leave your family in London, mm. set off halfway across the world to become a forced wife of mm. a man that you don't know, never met.
2: Yes,
3: fighter from another country. I think Shamima Begum ended up marrying a Dutch mm. fighter, that's right, and just... then lost three babies. And of course, the whole thing,
0: that's right, she did. Um, just going back to the book a minute, um, because actually. Uh, it, we should make it clear to the listeners that Parvez actually was wanting to come back wasn't he he yes. wanted to come yes. back to in fact he was fleeing yeah he, he was still so trying
3: to escape mm.
0: he was yeah he was fleeing and unfortunately um, lost his life when he was fleeing we won't tell you exactly how that happens or, or who does it but actually there's a lot in this book that makes us realize that all the issues that were there in 2018 are are still here in 2021 we haven't um, really resolved it the blurb on the back of the book includes the quote it makes you think uncomfortably yeah so while we're on talking about this subject is it something when we're talking about big issues like religion and radicalism and racism do you guys find it easy to say how you feel about it, to speak your views out clearly? Or do you tend to be quite reticent about sharing your opinions?
2: Um, I think I'm quite reticent because I don't think I'm in a position to have an opinion. Because I don't, I'm not in it personally. I don't don't have the correct information. I mean, reading books is particularly the beekeeper of Aleppo yes the other week that was like oh my god that's awful why can't we just give everyone asylum and not have them trudge across Mm. countries but i didn't really i think the press is quite biased i think i think it's been really biased the last couple of years particularly with ukip Mm. um, you know poisoning everybody's minds and and just as an aside the 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 airport scene where she was searched just because she had a hijab Mm. and therefore it makes you a terrorist When I was a student, we had some Northern Ireland uh, boys on our course and we went out to Barcelona and they knew that they would get stopped. I was like, that's ridiculous. Mm. And of course, it's literally because they had a Northern Ireland passport. Yeah. And I think that is still still present. I think that's still there. And I I don't know, even though I find it shocking, I sometimes don't want to know. Does that sound awful? Because it's so depressing. I think the book did make me really hate uh, jihadis and ISIS. It made me think they are just awful people doing this in the name of God and thinking they're doing the right thing.
1: I just want to say at this point something really interesting that I learned from a Muslim friend of mine a few years ago. So the origin of the word jihad actually has nothing to do with suicide, suicide bombing, martyrdom. Um, jihad actually means uh, to make a journey or a religious pilgrimage. Um. So I think for a lot of Muslims in the UK and as a secular white woman I cannot speak on behalf of everybody Mm. but what really really surprised me was the way that this simple and quite beautiful word that purely means to to pilgrim to to do something that really is related to your faith has been turned almost into a verb a noun a word that's used to associate Mm. with people who kill and it's horrible. Talking about Shanzi's
0: prose, as always, um, she's written um, seven novels, and this is the seventh of her novels. Um, always elegant, always evocative. I think she just manages to pull off a fine balancing act. I think in this book, between exploring the clash between society, family, and faith in the modern world, while also tipping its hat to the to the same dilemma that in the ancient one. So it's it's almost saying, how far have we really come? Um, Have we come anywhere anywhere near as far as we should have done
3: in all these hundreds of years? What do you think, guys? The thing I like about it is, yes, I agree that what the ancient Greeks knew 2,500 years ago is still true now. Yes. There's nothing about being human that they didn't know. So we think we can... We're so great. We know everything. We, we, we find everything out. You've only got to look at the ancient Greeks to, to know everything about being a human being.
0: Mm. Just remind us, Joe, what the story of Antigone is about.
3: Well, it's it's essentially that um, Antigone is the equivalent, if you like, of Anika. It's, it's uh, a, a young woman whose brother is killed in a rebellion. And because he was a rebel, his body is dumped outside the city walls of Thebes. And the king of Thebes refuses to allow anybody to clean his, wash his body and bury it. And she, she's horrified because she wants to give it its proper um, religious um, dues and to bury it properly. And she breaks the law and is caught trying to retrieve the body and bury it. And she's condemned by the king, King Creon, and condemned basically to a, a horrible death, taken away. It, it all ends very, very badly. It involves the fact that Creon's son, who is conveniently called Haman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, right. is in love with Antigone and he intervenes in a way that is tragic. So in, in the same way that there's a tragedy right at the end of um, Shamsi's mm-hmm. novel, there's a tragedy at the end of Sophocles' story of Antigone.
2: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't actually know the book was based on Antigone until afterwards. And the ending is very abrupt and doesn't, it just leaves you hanging. Yes. And I actually couldn't quite believe the ending because the writing is really a good pace. You just, and I like the way I couldn't predict where the story was going, you know, as, as it went along, cause I didn't know it was based on Antigone. The ending, I had to look it up. I thought, that's surely not, that's not happened. <laughs> <laughs> she just left you, which I thought actually was quite good. Yeah, yeah. it left you quite shocked, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely
0: felt shocked at the end of this book. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's powerful. It really is. Looking at the book, maybe from a feminist stance, what did you think about the the roles of women in the book? How much do you think the text was exploring the inequality between? men and women what did you think about that
1: Zoe? Um, Well I know we've touched on it a little bit already but really a lot of how Parvez is recruited into extremism is based on the fact that there seems to be no place for him in his family which is quite matriarchal you've got his twin Isma Mm. sorry sister and his twin Anika yeah so not only is his loyalty to his father's memory and to the work he did played on a lot but also the fact that They're from a very low income family. They're struggling to make ends meet. Um, The girls, they have their roles. Isma is caretaker and Anika is finding her way in the world and studying, but yet there's no place for Parvez and I think it's important to note that on the one hand we could look at the way that female characters always sacrifice themselves for love, whether that be for their family, for romantic love. But on the other hand, you've also got to think about, and maybe ask yourself some uncomfortable questions about what men's role is in a modern society where women are becoming more and more empowered. And we've got young men and young boys who potentially are going to be targeted by people of all faiths and backgrounds. You've got, um, unfortunately, a tragedy in Plymouth recently where a young man was drawn in by what's called incel culture plays on the stereotypes that um, feminism has damaged modern society and not providing a role for men and leading them to these acts of extremism. And it certainly made me think uncomfortably about how that can be resolved. I still don't have any answers on that.
2: What was quite interesting is Anika was actually when she was pursuing Eamon, which actually started with an ulterior motive, because she was actually being loyal to her brother. She was trying to get her brother, um, you know, Back in the country, but she was an incredibly sexual and powerful being. I thought, Um, and I think there was something that she was naked, but she still had her hijab on, Um, which I think the the um, Eamon found fascinating. That she was such a confident, sexual woman, and I mean, she really had him round her finger. She really did, because she just she'd turn up when she wanted to. She wouldn't give him her phone number. She was very much in control of that i felt yeah
0: there's a lot in this book about that isn't there they said it's less than 300 pages but there's so much packed in if mm-hmm. you're thinking of uh, reading it out there would you would you guys say it's a good one for a book
3: club yes definitely there's so much to talk about and it's likely to provoke uh, good arguments or good discussions between people in a book club
0: so topical as well isn't it you know it's it just doesn't ever seem to go out of you know, oh, we've discussed that. That's all past because we're still in it,
1: actually. You think it's a good one for a book clubs, Zoe? Yeah, definitely. I mean, going back to your earlier question about whether or not we're reticent to share some of our views about um, political topics or topics that are maybe contestable, weighted, a book club is a really, really good place to talk about some of these things because. As you were saying, you can get a different perspective, you can go behind the headlines almost and think about why a character is motivated to do something um, as opposed to just reading opinion pieces and and to be able to discuss them with a book club with a book like this, I I think is great. Yeah.
2: Yes, I mean, I read this without the book club because I only read it last month. But when I read a book like this, it's yes, it has a lot of issues, but fundamentally, it's a really good story. Um, and then I do miss that I think, oh God, I wish I could talk to the book club about this, because, like you said, it's not the same as looking up reviews or looking up online things, which might flesh it out a little bit for you. Yeah. But sometimes in the book club, my opinions are changed. You know, if you rate it and then at the end of the book club, your rating might go up or down based on other people's perspectives of the book.
0: So one of the great things about book club is, not it, actually, is that you can thrash out these things. You can you you feel that you can express your opinion mm-hmm. and it's OK to have your opinion mm-hmm. uh, and you may not agree with everyone else's opinion, but that's OK. So yeah. on that note, we've come to the end of our podcast. Thank you again, panel, for coming along tonight. Thanks, Zoe. Thank Joe. Thank Jen. Next month, we're going to be talking um, about The Heart's Invisible Furies by the great John Boyne. Thank you, listeners out there, for continuing to support us. We really appreciate it. Um, Until then, keep safe and goodbye. Thank you once again for listening to Gloucester Book Club's podcast. We really appreciate your support. You can listen on Apple and Google podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and many more.